Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm here, as always, with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we have a Lunatics Library episode for you, which I think we haven't had for a little while, but we're, we have some spooky stories and we're excited to, excited to share them. Mine is not spooky. Okay, well, mine is spooky, it's, so it, I'll make up for it. It's got some, you know, I don't know, may, maybe someone will think it's spooky. Okay, do you, you knew the prompt, right, <laughs> is usually to make it spooky. Yeah, I know. Okay. But I, mm, I didn't. Sometimes, sometimes it comes out a little different. That's okay. Yeah, I don't know. I had a very different, I like the, the, the sun, what, 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 I'll just read the damn story. So if you haven't already listened to the history of isolation, that episode is already out. And that's where we really deep dive into three elements of isolation. There's obviously a lot more, but uh, torture, isolation as torture, isolation in solitary confinement, and being sort of stranded or shipwrecked uh, as as isolation and torture. So that's the premise of our, of our big deep dive into isolation. But today we wanted, that was kind of a little bit of a heavy episode for us in some parts. So we wanted to do something a little bit lighter today and give you some fun, you know, in my mind, when we're in September, we're in spooky season. And so it's time to kind of start kicking up the spookiness on this podcast a little bit as we get closer to Halloween. If you haven't listened to the history component of this episode, just don't, just skip it. You don't Stop need it. it. No, don't. We want this you is, to listen to these, it. These stories are way more fun than listening to that. No, stop it. Alan has some weird self-loathing thing going on about researching torture. It's it's affected him. It was <laughs> but, yeah. It's uh, don't ever Google but it's isolation important. torture. But it, it though it's terrifying, and I think this is the premise of the all of the work that we do here. Though sometimes it is scary or hard to talk about. The point is that this is actually happening to this day, and there's people who are experiencing it. And we should not only be aware of it, but in some cases do what we can to combat it, you know. And so if we turned a blind eye to it, then nothing will ever change. Well, my story is not exactly rooted in current events. Okay, neither is mine. (laughs) I I mean, maybe it is. We just, I don't know. I have no evidence indicating as such. Okay. I don't know if I said this already, but Alan wrote a story and I wrote a story for this my story is not new. It's actually in uh, the short story collection I published last year called Horror Stories, which you can uh, get a copy of if you're into. But I don't think that we've ever read it on the podcast, so it will be new to the show. Yeah, uh, this the story that I'm about to read is written by Anonymous. All right, Alan Kudan, do you want to you go first? Here we go. Here we go. No one. Red and Red by Alan Kudan. Lightning flashes across the man's face again and again. As the never-ending electrical storm rages above him, he stares at the little empty notebook that he's found. It's been so long since he'd written something down. He holds a pencil up to the page, but hesitates. At the top of the page is a place to write a date. The date, he thinks. The meaninglessness of the concept hits him with a familiar hollowness. He leaves the date blank and sits down to write anyway. I don't know the date, he begins. Even if I did, it has no place here. I have a name, but it has no place here either. Names are meant to be spoken, and there is no one left to speak. I am an immortal, as far as I know. Originally designed to be the pinnacle of science, 
an unkillable soldier to end all wars. I have achieved my mission. All war has ended. Years, maybe eons ago, I believed in a cause. I underwent their experiments, became what I am, and fought my enemy. Bullets and bombs can do me no harm. My enemy was wise, and eventually I was captured and imprisoned. I waited in their stone cell, never needing food, water, or sleep. I waited for my allies to rescue me. I was patient. I was immortal. Then the first bomb hit. It was unlike anything I had experienced before. It was the brightest light I had ever seen, and the light pushed into me. It forced me deep into the earth, as the remains of my enemy's city fell on top of me. It took a very, very long time to free myself from being buried. Inch by inch, pebble by pebble, mile by mile, I dug my way out. When I finally broke through and tasted air for what felt like the first time, the world had changed. Above me, the sky had turned into an endless storm. The sun was gone, but the constant lightning lit up the land. It looked like an alien world. The former desert had been turned to glass by bombs, and a layer of frozen ash covered the wastes. I began to walk. It had finally happened. Mutually assured destruction. What the bombs didn't finish, nuclear winter did. The world was frozen and lifeless. If not for the constant thunder, I'm sure the planet would be silent. I searched tirelessly for survivors, either friend or foe, it didn't matter. But I had been buried a long time. Of the few untouched areas I could find, humanity had still ended. It was not uncommon to find the remains of bodies huddled together with the evidence of suicide to prove that they had chosen their own fate. I spent a very long time wandering the world, but it all looked the same. There may be some oasis, some pocket of humanity that has endured all this hardship, but I'm sure by the time I find it, it too will have turned to ash. Sometimes I think about the stars I can no longer see. Maybe I can wait until the endless storm finally comes to a close, and then I can build a ship and leave this dead planet. Maybe there's life in the cosmos. Maybe beings like me. But then I think of what it would be like to be in a tiny spaceship and have run out of fuel, drifting forever without even the escape of death. I'm unclear what I should do, but I'm in no rush to figure it out. I have all the time in the world. Wow. That sparked so many things in me. One, it makes me think a lot about Neil Gaiman's American Gods and what happens when, you know, these gods or deities or powerful beings sort of lose their purpose because they they're no longer being worshipped. Mm. It also, first of all, it was really well written and I loved the imagery that it provoked and you did a great job reading it. Oh, thank you. It was very sad and it kind of also made me think about isolation mentally too, which I think a lot of us are familiar with, feeling like you you can't fit in or you don't have your purpose or you're just not in the same place that the people around you are mentally and so you kind of feel isolated even if you're surrounded by people, you know? really got me thinking was like, what, what if, you know, you're in a hopeless situation, but there is, you don't even have the escape of death. 
Like you have to do something. You don't have to do it now or, you know, anytime in the foreseeable future, but you have to do something eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a great concept. Originally, this was supposed to be like a big sci-fi story about just like an immortal in space. Mm. But we just got stuck on Earth and it just that's what happened. And it just seems terrifying. Actually, it reminds me of there's a great Justice League story. So there's a villain called Vandal Savage. Are you familiar yeah. with him? No. So Vandal Savage is like one of those um, big bads that Lex Luthor type that just like takes on the whole Justice League at once, right? He started as a caveman and then a meteor hit. And then he slept with the meteor, like huddled with it. And it's radiation filled him. Like this is all just like Silver Age comic stuff, right? Um, But he became immortal and unkillable. And so he, you have this immortal, unkillable guy that is incredibly, he's just try, always trying to conquer the world, right? Because he, he thinks of himself as the superior being. Yeah. Well, there's this one great Justice League story where the Flash travels eons forward into the future where the whole world is just like dust and ruin. And he meets Vandal Savage because he's still there. And he's the only one there. And he just like apologizes. He, he, like he helps Flash get home. And, like, he apologizes for, like, all the stuff he used to do as, like, a young man. A young man. He was still, like, you know, millions of years old at the time. You know, he just understands, like, why he was wrong. Because he's had literally, you know, millennia to reflect on it. Right. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly, it's also, like, the idea of time as isolation, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, stories I read as well, like, books and novels that I read where, people become immortal, humans become immortal for whatever reason. And the idea of outliving the people you care about and sort of eventually being in a place where it's just you, you know, maybe. So I also recently reread Sandman. Yeah. Um, so Neil Gaiman, Sandman. And the whole first arc of this is when Dream is in prison. So Dream being of the endless, the definition of an immortal. And so he just sits quietly the entire time when he's imprisoned. Doesn't move, doesn't do anything because he doesn't have to. And so he understands that, you know, he can rage in whatever he wants, but he's not going to get out. Uh, so he just decides, well, it's going to take a while, but I can always just wait for this cage, for the atoms in this cage to decay and completely turn to dust. Right. Wow. That's intense imagery. Yeah. But this is, things are different when you're an immortal. You have all the time in the world. My story's a little different. Yeah. It's a little dark. Well, I don't know if it's darker, but it's dark in it's a different way. Okay. Um, hit me. In the dark, written in red, I Abby Branker. Ash opened his eyes to reveal total darkness. His first instinct was to remove whatever was impeding his vision, but nothing was there. He thought he must be dead. The room was totally devoid of light. He didn't remember how long he'd been asleep for, or the last thing he'd been doing. He stretched his hands out in front of him, mapping out his new surroundings. The stone-cold floor beneath his numb legs was wet. The air was damp and musty, as if he was in a basement or dungeon. There was a drip, drip, dripping noise coming from the right. He turned towards it and slowly tried to crawl to the water source, but his legs were pins and needles. Damn, he swore in his head. His skin was clammy and chilled. He felt feverish. Ash tried again and stumbled closer to what felt like a water pipe. He tried to suck cool water into his parched mouth. 
but it didn't taste like water. It was thick. The liquid tasted like a copper penny. He spit it out. Where was he? He didn't want to scream. He didn't know what would come to check on him. Ash didn't allow himself to process the horror of his situation. He knew he needed to stay calm in order to get out alive. He didn't like not being able to see where he was. It felt like a very deliberate tactic. He kept feeling around the space, trying to understand the room. Two more feet to the right, wall. Four feet to the left, wall. Six feet up and back, wall. He was in a cell. He took a deep breath. Don't freak out. Freaking out won't help anything. His fear was only confirmed when he felt the heavy metal chains that were bolted directly into the stone. His brain was racing as he thought about the iron-tasting liquid. What sort of torture chamber was this? Who had brought him here? He racked his brain, trying to remember what had happened. A thump, thump, thump. He remembered the pain, blacking out. What had happened right before that? Soft skin, green eyes, loose brown hair. Kirk. They had been in the barn. And then Ash had walked home to his family's house and... What? What had happened next? Whoosh! Something disturbed the air next to his face. Ash gasped and batted stupidly at the movement. In a split second it was gone and the air was still again. Ash could feel his heart beat, beat, beating in his chest. Panic started to bubble up. The whoosh, whoosh, whoosh had scared him. Whatever it was, it could see in the dark. Was it playing with him? Taunting him before it killed him? Movement. He felt the wind again. This time it was more defined, like wings. Was some winged creature guarding him? Whoosh. He backed away to the right. Whoosh. Now it was behind him. If Ash wasn't already in a tiny cell, he'd have thought the thing was hurting him. Whoosh. The rancid smell of death filled the space. Ash covered his nose. He couldn't handle it. This was fucked. This was all fucked. He knew he was going to die. There was no other way out of here. His heart started beating even faster. The panic was here. Ugh! Against his will, Ash let out a scream. He was exasperated. He was terrified. The emotion escaped verbally from his body. He immediately regretted it and slammed his hands across his mouth. Fuck. And then he heard it. A low rumble. A disturbing growl. And then, clink, clink, clink. Something was approaching him. Clink, clink, clink. Ash made the sign of the cross and thought about Kirk. Something pleasant to distract him from whatever cruel torture approached. Kirk. Think of Kirk. Clink, clink, clink. Think about that delightful laugh and tender touch. Think about his quick wit and sharp mind. Clink, clink, clink. And then the sound of a key in a lock and the slow creak of the door easing open. Green light spilled into the space. Ash covered his eyes. Even though it was dim, it burned his retinas. He needed time to adjust, but he didn't have it. He dropped his hands, bravely wanting to face his enemy. He took in the eerie green light that surrounded him. Standing silhouetted in the doorway was what looked to be a woman. It was human-shaped, anyway. Ash could make out the curvy shape. Her hair looked to be tied up on top of her head. She took a step closer. He could see her better now. She was wearing six-inch heeled boots, which explained the clinking noise, and scraps of leather across her chest and waist. What? Who? Ash struggled to get the words out. The woman remained silent as she slowly bent down towards Ash. The green light made it hard to make out her true coloring. Was her skin really green, or was it the light? 
Her nails were long and sharp. Her face was severe but pretty. She looked hardened but young, close in age to Ash. She dragged a pointy nail down his face and sneered at him. She started to speak. Her voice was deep and commanding. He didn't know the language, but it sounded ancient. It was as if she was putting a spell on him. He tried to crawl backwards and escape from his fate, but he knew it was no use. He was trapped in this tiny stone dungeon. She kept speaking and looking at him expectantly, as if she wanted him to respond. He shook his head furiously. I don't know what you're saying, Ash screamed at her. She laughed, a cold sound that filled him with dread. She jerked her head up behind him. She was looking at the top corner of the room. She placed a single finger up to her lips. Ash slowly turned and saw what had been whoosh, whoosh, whooshing around him. His stomach dropped. Cold sweat beads started to collect and drip from his forehead. This wasn't happening. Up in the corner of the room was the most disgusting and horrifying beast Ash had ever seen. It looked like an overgrown bat. The creature must have been three feet long. The cell ceiling was higher than Ash realized. It went up, up, up. The bat's eyes caught the green light in an unsettling way. Ash could see the prickly fur that covered the creature's body. And the teeth. The sharp points that lined its humanoid-looking mouth. No, 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 this couldn't be happening. This was a dream. This sort of thing didn't exist in the world. The woman kept laughing as the bat started to descend the wall its finger-like talons scaling the stone with ease. Ash noticed what looked to be scratches in the rock, as if someone before him had tried to claw their way out of this impossible situation. This was it. Ash knew it was over. The demonic devil woman blocked his only exit, and the nightmare bat was coming closer, closer, closer. He squeezed his eyes closed. Kirk, think of Kirk. Don't let your last moments alive be drowned out with fear and evil. Ash focused his thoughts on love and laughter. He remembered the day they had met, the best day of his life. Ash had been washing linens down by the river. He had only been 13. He saw Kirk there. His laughter was audible from the other side of the water. His joy was visible. Ash had watched him with wonder. What a magical human. He hoped he'd be that happy someday, and it turns out he had been. Kirk had made him that happy. Ash braced himself. He knew any second now he'd feel the teeth or the talons start to tear him open. He knew any second he'd be dead. He thought of the flowers they collected from the meadow. He thought of the time they went swimming in the creek. He thought nothing was happening. No pain had come. Ash didn't dare open his eyes. What if the beast was standing right before him, waiting for him to falter? But curiosity got the best of him. Very slowly, he peeked out of his right eye and then his left. What was going on? The woman wasn't there anymore, but the door was ajar. That was odd. He looked up. The creature was cowering in the upper corner of the small space. Ash wasn't sure how he could tell, but it seemed as if the bat was afraid of him. How could that be? Ash didn't wait for any clarity. He sprinted to the open steel door and burst through it. The hallway was void of guards. It seemed unusual, considering the beasts that lurked within these walls, but he didn't question it further. This was his shot. He needed to get out right now. He had no idea where he was, if he was in a cellar or a castle. No windows lined the passageway, only gray stone and torches burning with a green fire, an evil fire. He bounded on. Frantically, he looked for an exit, 
The hall seemed to stretch on forever. It turned and twisted, but only revealed more cell doors. Every so often, he'd heard a scream. He wished he could free anyone who was captive here, but he didn't know how to open the cells. He just needed to get out. He could come back later. He wondered how far he was from home. Onwards he ran, until he came across an open entryway. He peeked inside. Damn it, it was the cell he'd been in. He'd wiped the sweat from his face. How long had he been running? He couldn't give up now. He started off again, but his pants snagged on the metal lock. As he tugged free, the motion slammed the heavy door shut and sent a clanging noise echoing around the passageway. Ash groaned. The door was thrown back open from the force, and he could see the bat creature crawling towards him again, this time much faster. Ash sprang to the left. He sprinted as fast as he could. There had to be a turnoff he missed the first time, some way to get away from this doomed track. He could hear the flap, flap, flap of wings closing in on him, and then pain. Talons broke into the skin of his back, claws gripped at his shoulder blades. Ash let out a blood-curdling scream. He wasn't just screaming from the pain or fear, but from the exasperation. He had been so close to freedom, he had blown his shot. Kirk, think of Kirk. They can't take away the memories. Ash tried to rip his thoughts from the grotesque brute feasting on him. He steered his mind to the sunny spring day at the pond, the first time they had kissed. Ash screamed as the talons were ripped out of his back. He turned to see the bat retreating back into the cell. Kirk. Was it Kirk that had saved him? Was it his happiness that drove the monsters away? Did they feed on fear? It was just like Kirk to save him, even in the most impossible moment. Ash smiled. He tried to ignore the searing pain. He knew his back must have been shredded. He knew even if he could make his way out of here, he was losing blood. He knew it was likely infected. He didn't care. Kirk. He kept moving. Kirk. 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 He channeled his happy recollections as he pressed on. Each step was slower than the last. He was fading, but he wouldn't give up. He had come so far, and there it was, up ahead of him. As if Kirk had guided him to safety, there was a doorway he hadn't noticed before. He realized why. It was hidden in the gray wall, a slight turnoff. He took it. Veering to his right, he let out a sigh of relief as he saw a window. It was night, and the moon was almost full. He could see rolling hills and meadows. Another window, and another. He kept thinking about Kirk, warding off any attack. His body was heavy. He didn't think he could keep going, but he knew that was his only shot at living. He trudged on. A door. Fresh air. Freedom. Ash sucked in the fresh air. He'd gotten used to the rancid... Ash sucked in the brisk air. He'd gotten used to the rancid, musty smell of the castle without knowing it. The cold night reinvigorated him. It gave him another small boost of energy, enough to keep going for now. He didn't know where he was. How far away from home could he be? He didn't know who he could trust, but he kept walking. Sooner or later, he'd come across a village or town. Someone would help bandage him up and point him in the right direction. He'd make it back to him. I can't believe this has not been on the podcast yet. This is one. This, I remember this story from your book. World premiere, right well, here. Great, great rendition. Thank you very much. Very, very, very spooky. And very spooky. And violent and a little sexy. Just a little. That's what I do. Great, great story, though. Like it a lot. 
Thank you. So I, I like that. The, the this is, if I remember correctly, this is like the bat creature. Is the is the bat creature real? And it just like just feeds on fear. Yeah, everything is real. Oh, I wasn't sure how much of this was like a fig, figment of his imagination with like the woman and everything, because like she just disappears. Are you giving me critical feedback on no. the story? I'm trying to de- delve into the mythos of the dungeon. The mythos of the dungeon is that mm-hmm. he was kidnapped because they feed on fear and little kids or, or young teens usually are more scared than mm-hmm. other other types of people. And he outsmarted them, though, by thinking of his happy memories instead of giving into it, and he was able to escape. And so everybody disappears because mm. they don't want to be around him. And his positive thoughts. Correct. I like that. Isn't that a lesson for us all? Reverse Peter Pandem. Exactly. That's what I was going for. <laughs> well, I think that concludes our little exploration here into the history of isolation and into story writing about isolation. Hmm. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. If you have a story you want to submit to the podcast, you can always reach us at filmsaboutlunatics at gmail.com or through Instagram or any of our other social media. So feel free to reach out and we love to read uh, listener submitted stories as well as our own. It's true. We do. We do. So until next time, stay safe, stay spooky, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep. And musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.